Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution courtesy of Sascribe Media. I'm your host, Alex Zuma, and uh, really excited to be joined today by a fantastic guest, uh, a man that has invested in no less than six unicorns, uh, a man that's authored the famous 10 Laws of Cloud Computing, uh, and a man that wore a unicorn mask as his Twitter profile pic for some time. Um, you know, can you guess who it is? Uh, well, if not, I'll help you. It's, that's right. It's uh, Byron Dieter, partner at Bessemer Venture Partners. Welcome, Byron. Thank you, Alex, for the heckling and for having me on today. <laughs> oh, you know, I thought we'd start uh, start off uh, on, a, on a good note. And uh, no, really pleased to have you uh, on the show, Byron. Now, um, uh, you know, I, I read today, Byron, in, in preparation for this, uh, uh, for this podcast, that the chances of building a unicorn are uh, one in five million, according to an article in TechCrunch. And uh, in an ar- another article in uh, First Round, it was 0.0006%. Uh, so it seems pretty tough, right? But more and more I'm hearing these days from early stage you know, entrepreneurs that are talking the unicorn talk that they want to build a unicorn, that they want to build a billion dollar business. Do you think this is a good thing? Well, uh, if you read TechCrunch uh, every day, it seems like the, the data suggests the opposite, that a, a new uh, unicorn is being uh, birthed uh, by the hour or uh, certainly by the day. Um, but it is, uh, it is rarefied air, and I do think that we, uh, we take these things for granted, but the, the art of actually building a long-term great company remains uh, the hardest thing to do in business, and there's uh, probably too much hype and energy around these short-term milestones, particularly the, the artificial funding milestones uh, achieving these valuations. But I certainly believe the climate has never been better for building great businesses, and hopefully people are keeping their heads down trying to build real value, and, and over time we will see that a number of great you know, built-to-last type businesses are, are being minted despite this crazy environment. Okay, awesome. So I, I want to um, sort of you know, break that down in terms of you know, what are the ingredients, you know, what are the, uh, the laws, if you will, uh, of uh, you know, building a, a great lasting business, building a, a billion dollar business. Um, so I thought today for this um, uh, you know, episode of the podcast, we could look at uh, the, the 10 laws of building a unicorn, if, uh, if that's all right with you. <laughs> sure, you're, you're going to corrupt our ten, uh, Bessemer's 10 laws of cloud computing and, uh, and really play into the u- unicorn storm. So uh, uh, go there if you dare, I guess. Yeah, well, perhaps we can, uh, you, know, uh, Pat, you know, for your next uh, uh, podcast interview, um, you know, whoever it might be, uh, with that, uh, they might introduce you as the author of the ten laws of building a unicorn instead, right? <laughs> oh, let's uh, <laughs> let's hope for all of our sakes that we have uh, higher ambitions. But uh, okay. this will be uh, this will be fun nonetheless. So uh, I'm game if you are, Alex. Okay, excellent. So so these are my suggested laws, you know, uh, uh, as a kind of you know working paper uh, to to start with. And, and what I want to do is go through them one by one to see if you agree. Or disagree, you know, whether we keep them in or or throw them out, replace them with something else. And for each law, I'd like to understand why it's important, um, you know, and if you can give me some examples from your portfolio companies on each one, um, you know, that would be that that would be great. So, uh, are, are you ready? Absolutely, game on. Okay, let's do it. So, law number one, uh, I'm suggesting that leadership team must have experience. So. You know, further through my readings in uh, you know publications like TechCrunch and, uh, uh, and others, but don't want to uh, plug them too much. Um, uh, I saw in one report from uh, I think uh, GP Bullhounds, an investment banking group, that 58% of European unicorns were founded by entrepreneurs uh, in their 30s, with average age of uh, around 35. 
So would you agree that this should be a law that we should keep it in? Um, you know, if so, why? Um, what are your thoughts? So you're hitting uh, hitting me right in the heart to start, given that I founded my first SaaS business at 25, Alex. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take offense and try to uh, back up my objection with uh, with some data. But um, I, I do think experience in a broad sense is, of course, valuable and relevant. Uh, I don't think that means age, though. Mm -hmm. um, it really is about unique insights and some unfair advantage. Uh, and you know, take my own experience off. We we had a great outcome, but um, that uh, a lot of other great things led to that. Uh, but we're proud investors in you know Aaron Levy at Box mm -hmm. or um, Isaac at SendGrid or uh, Michael at Vidyard, all great entrepreneurs that founded their businesses in their twenties um, in our current portfolio. Nonetheless, you know many of our our great um, you know billion dollar plus outcomes. Uh, through the years that were led by early young founders. I think it comes down to really force of personality, some unique insight, and a kickstart to get you going. Certainly in the B2B world, uh, having some insight or some empathy for the customer problems has tended to be an advantage. And that's why I do think mathematically the ages skew there because everyone's a consumer in some sense, and it's easier to come out of undergrad, have an idea for a consumer startup and get launched. Whereas in the enterprise side, it certainly helps to have been in a corporate context or understand the corporate issues, but it's certainly not a prerequisite. We look at funding, you know, fresh entrepreneurs all the time, even in the enterprise world. Okay, awesome. So it seems um, uh, with that one, we're we're throwing it out, and uh, it is kind of dependent on uh, force of personality um, and uh, you know many other factors, um, you know, uh, as such. If uh, if you're happy with that, yep. Indeed. Okay, cool. Now, <laughs> law, law number two, uh, location. Um, that a B2B SaaS company has a better chance, uh, you know, of uh, being a unicorn uh, if they're in Silicon Valley. Um, now, would you agree or disagree? So I, I love it when companies are based here. Silicon Valley broadly defined, certainly including San Francisco now, which is uh, the current uh, epicenter of a lot of the innovation. Uh, and if you look across my own portfolio with Box, DocuSign, Twilio, et cetera, certainly many of our more visible unicorns have been birthed here, um, including as a firm, you know, LinkedIn, Yelp, Pinterest, et cetera. Uh, and it's it's easier. However, I think we're going to go 0 for 2 here, and I'm going to refute the law more broadly because if you step back and look at the data again, um, I've been fortunate to be on the board of directors at, of Cornerstone On Demand in Santa Monica, which was a billion-dollar-plus IPO, um, Eloqua in Toronto, which was uh, a very successful IPO and, and just under a billion-dollar acquisition by Oracle, uh, Critio, which was um, you know $3 billion IPO out of Paris, um, and Structures on the road this week to go public, um, sitting in Salt Lake City, and then uh, as a firm more broadly, Shopify in Toronto. Uh, Wix in Israel, Parallels in Russia, Skype in Estonia. The reality is that the world is flat, and our job is to go wherever in the world great entrepreneurs and great ideas happen to be, and it, it's great if it's a, it's a short drive or a walk from our office here, but uh, more and more that's not the case, and we have offices all over the world, including India. We do a lot in Israel. We do a lot in Europe and even a, a bit in China. Um, because increasingly great innovations coming from everywhere. I do think there's a lot of special things and you need to have a valley mentality um, and even some access here. So uh, having some sales and biz dev resources, maybe some front end architectural work, certainly as a firm, one of the things we do for these remote companies is help them be valley aware and valley connected. But in many ways, these teams persuasively argue that having 
their core office or a large center outside of the Valley is an advantage for hiring, recruiting, and retention in ways that um, are a competitive weapon for them. Okay, uh, so law number two uh, refuted by Byron Dieter there, and even actually, uh, if you look at today uh, or the news with uh, Atlassian filing to go public, and you know they're headquartered out of Australia. So um, perhaps I, I walked into that one, but I, I wanted to be challenging, and uh, yeah. So we're zero. fun. Yeah, we're zero for two there. So, um, now the third one, uh, third law, I believe um, that a B two B SaaS company needs to take VC money to fuel growth uh, to become a billion dollar company. Uh, would you agree or disagree? <laughs> so this is a softball down the middle that is self-serving, um, but uh, I'm going to largely agree with you here just because it's it's helpful but not needed in the mm. sense that when you look across the 43 pure play public cloud companies today, uh, the vast majority of them have chosen to take venture capital. Uh, as a firm, Bessemer Venture Partners is actually backed one in four of them, so by far the, the most of any venture firm. But a number of other great firms are out there working with many of these great companies, and all of them have taken some form of organized capital. And it's not to say that uh, it's needed or that it's the only way. Certainly, customer financing is the best core uh, capital that you should take and should always be the focus. But uh, venture capital is an accelerant. And in these winner-take-most markets, time to market and time to scale has massive economic value to um, a, a shareholder and a business operator. And if you can hit hyperscale faster, that tends to be worth the dilution. And so that's what we see from the best entrepreneurs time and time again. They crack the code on a repeatable model. They have conviction on their true north in terms of building a business. And then they, they add the rocket fuel and the help. Um, certainly capital is part of it. But... Uh, expertise can be additive here. And as a firm, we've backed almost 100 cloud companies, uh, just using ourselves as an example. And there are um, real benefits from that portfolio, from the network, from the synergy across the group that can de-risk the business for founders and can help um, achieve scale faster. And that's why time and time again, you see even very wealthy repeat entrepreneurs going back and working with venture capital partners because of that, that support and, and the role that they can play in, in helping to build the business faster. Okay, awesome. Um, so I'm pleased we've got uh, one kept in there, uh, and uh, I think sort of further to that in you, you know in the research, I was looking at companies like Qualtrics and uh, Atlassian uh, as well. And, and, and for instance, um, you know, as as the rules are, or the laws to become a billion dollar business. I mean, Qualtrics was bootstrapped up to 50 million ARR, uh, and I think even had you know a half a million dollar um, exit uh, offers. Uh, but actually, you know, they were then asked, you want to become, you know, billion dollar business and, you know, beyond that. And I think the same perhaps uh, apply with Atlassian. And, uh, and you can see once they've taken that investment money, now Atlassian is filing and it's going to be what, you know, $3.5 billion valuation or, or along those lines. So, um, so very much the case. SurveyMonkey, same bucket, um, you know, in our portfolio, Cornerstone On Demand was very capital efficient, but chose to because they wanted the, the support and the extended leverage to get there faster. And, and that's the best of both, where you don't need to. You have ball control, but you can bring in a strategic partner very thoughtfully um, to help you reach the full potential of the business. And time and time again, we see, again, the, the very best founders still making that choice. Okay. So uh, law number four, uh, I'm suggesting that uh, to build a billion-dollar business, the product has to be disruptive uh, stroke uh, innovative. Um, would you agree? 
Yes, in the broad sense. And I'll say it's certainly more fun if it's disruptive, and those are the businesses we, we love backing um, the most. But there is still a role for faster, better, cheaper, or the SaaS version of X. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll readily admit that. You look at a great company like Workday, and fundamentally they admit that they are the cloud version of PeopleSoft, um, and increasingly you know, going down the ERP playbook, but with a cloud mindset. And we have many of our cloud businesses have done exactly that. Um, I will say, though, that there is an opportunity now to take what is uniquely possible through interconnectivity of web, uh, location awareness and intelligence with the mobile supercomputer in your pocket, et cetera, and do things that are fundamentally disruptive. And those are the types of businesses that, that get us most excited. Um, you look at a business like a LinkedIn or an Eloqua or a Shopify um, that weren't possible without cloud or even new business models like a Twilio where they're a platform as a service capability, API, developer-centric business, just fundamentally changing business model and delivery model. And those are the types of businesses that we think um, have to blaze a trail. It's harder, but ultimately they can have you know very disruptive economics as well if successful. And we do um, tend to gravitate towards those types of businesses at Bessemer just given our, uh, our our personal mentalities. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, on a, on a broad sense, we're we're keeping that one uh, uh, that one in there. Um, now, onto law number five: um, that product should be uh, friction free. Yes, uh, but it's an important distinction here. Important asterisk. Um, people have fallen in love with the freemium model, mm -hmm. and we don't believe that the onboarding itself necessarily needs to be friction-free to that degree. Um, it needs to be a fantastic user experience. Uh, it needs to be tutorial-free and self-serve in the sense that uh, th these days of long corporate training sessions where you put people in a room for a week uh, to teach them how to use SAP um, is just not going to happen anymore. Uh, if the users can't figure it out on their own, um, they'll move on. And that's the beauty of SaaS and of, of mobile enterprise now increasingly as well is that people have the luxury of moving products and going to something that they like and that works. And so we do think that you need to take friction out of the onboarding process and make it intuitive or someone else will and you will lose the business. And fundamentally, you've got to win that business every week and every month in SaaS uh, because of the subscription nature. And you need to bring much more of that consumer mindset to product design, which is why many of the legacy players are struggling so uh, um, magnificently in this transition. Because not only do they fight the business model instinct of selling subscription, but uh, subscription business models and, and licenses, but they also um, just don't have the product DNA to take out the heavyweight, feature-rich, um, integration-heavy elements and, and make this enjoyable. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Um, so we're, we're, we're keeping that one in and uh, moving on to uh, number six, um, that the founders should be uh, tenacious, that the company should have tenacity. And I think I got this one uh, from watching a, a video of yours on, on YouTube where uh, you, you, you quoted, uh, I think, you know, or referenced Charlie Sheen and, you know, having tiger blood and, you know, being able to run through walls. So, uh, law number six, uh, the, the B2B SaaS company, the founders, they need to have tenacity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, admittedly, Charlie Sheen's probably not the great analogy, but a, a little bit of Charlie Sheen crazy is probably good. Um, to, to have the drive to take on the world and to believe that you can fundamentally change things. 
Um, and rally a team to do that is core to being a great founder. And it's important to note that doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert. Many of our best founders are product visionaries and are just so compelling by their force of vision and, and highly introverted people. So personality types can take a number of forms, but the drive, the, the vision, and a little bit of that nutty Steve Jobs-like, I'm gonna take on the world, tends to correlate very well with long-term success. Okay, okay. Uh, I mean, have you ever been pitched by somebody that's uh, almost kind of Charlie Sheen-esque and, uh, or have you invested in any? <laughs> you I, I, will, I will note some people can take it too far. So uh, the, the Charlie Sheen analogy does have its negatives as well. And uh, certainly we've, we've been pitched by many a folk who you sit back and say, now they are just certifiably <laughs> crazy. Uh, and so we do draw a line, but okay. um, we love it when they walk right up to that line. Let's put it that way. Okay, so tenacious but not certifiably crazy. Okay. <laughs> exactly, the very fine line. Yeah. Okay, so um, uh, law number seven, uh, you need to have the right market. Um, and here I sort of, you know, reference maybe like, you know, mobile enterprise, uh, or, you know, or marketing automation sort of the right time, but perhaps not, um, you know, starting a, a, a business which is, you know, on-premise uh, email servers or something like that, right? So uh, would you agree um, the right market uh, or needing the right market is a, a, a law? Yes, in that you need to be pointed in the right direction. Yeah. Um, the rising tide or the tailwind or whatever analogy you want to use just helps a lot. So you don't need to get everything exactly right to still have a success. Um, in general, we will still take an A team and a B market any day because we think great people figure it out. Mm -hmm. But you want both. And we certainly try to find both and great teams out there try to find both, which is look for spaces that are going through massive disruption that have some tailwind effects. And if you can be the best company and team in the best market, that's where you get the, the double whammy multiplier and you can have these 100x outcomes. Okay, awesome. So we, we'll keep that in, but a, a, an A plus team in a B market, um, you know, is uh, uh, law 7.1. Uh, <laughs> it's going to win every day against yeah. the, other, the, the, the reverse. Okay, awesome. Um, now, law number eight, uh, that your, uh, the SaaS business, in order to be, become a billion dollar business, should be focused on revenue uh, or should be revenue growth based and not user growth based. So start moving money from the day that you ship and don't figure it out later. I'm going to push back on this in the okay. short term mm -hmm. because ultimately, of course, all businesses need to show revenue. All businesses ultimately need to show free cash flow to be valued. That should be the, the ultimate arbiter of value and generally is in, in the public markets long term. But there's a number of ways to get there. And certainly in the consumer world, if we think of examples, you know, we, we took a lot of grief for um, LinkedIn uh, on the enterprise cloud to consumer side or Pinterest for you know, no monetization early on. Um, but they had very purposeful strategies to build user engagement, user love, network effects, et cetera, and then monetize later. And uh, I do think that that holds true in uh, enterprise mobile and in cloud in many cases. However, the pressure is um, and the value of moving there earlier is, is generally true. And so what we often find is have a clear thesis for a business model, build a world-class product that people love, and the dollars will come. And where you get the scale and really the valuation accretion is where you get the user engagement and you have proven out the unit economics that work. And you don't need to lean into the unit economics fully up front, but you need to show that there is a profitable business at its core that you can scale and you know how to scale. And that combination is powerful. In SaaS, it tends to happen earlier than it does in the consumer world, but it's not a deal breaker at day one. 
Okay, awesome. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll accept that and, uh, and switch that out with, uh, um, with my suggested law number eight. Um, so um, moving on to uh, law number nine, customer success should be at the heart um, you know, of every SaaS business in order for them to become a unicorn. Would you agree? Absolutely. And this is a new concept for, for many people in the industry, particularly those that may have sold uh, into the Oracle or SAP, you know, uh, customer bases before where really it was an afterthought. Yet in a, in a software as a service business, service is the important term and fundamentally subscription economics mean that customers can walk. Even if they have one year or three year deals, oftentimes those are up for negotiation if things aren't, um, aren't working out or if they find something else. And so we do believe that customer success management is becoming a term of art. Uh, we're investors in Gainsight as an example because of our strong conviction here, but just more broadly that you will see VPs of customer success titled in companies and senior positions, and that what used to be an account management function is being elevated to a customer success function with real empowerment and real responsibility. And any company by definition that's a subscription business growing by less than 100%, depends on a majority of their next year's revenue coming out of their installed base from before. So customer success is actually controlling the largest P&L in the business, the largest P in the business. Um, and so they should be empowered appropriately. And we do think that on a relative basis that they're gaining organizational credibility to reflect this. Okay, okay, awesome. So we've got a winner there, customer, uh, customer success uh, being at the heart of becoming a unicorn business. Um, and. Uh, um, yeah, actually, I was at uh, um, uh, Gainsight's Pulse conference uh, the other week uh, in Europe, um, and yeah, very much uh, uh, an advocate of uh, the growth of customer success and the importance um, within well, well, any subscription business. So yeah, you see it firsthand; they're pulling together thousands of people now worldwide. If you combine their events, that, yeah. that are seeing the cause, it's very clear front and center. The movement's real. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so the final uh, final law uh, here in um, you know becoming a billion dollar business, becoming a unicorn, uh, is that every B two B SaaS business needs to be obsessed about its metrics, needs to have a CEO dashboard. Um, would you agree that this is a law that we're going to keep in? Yes, uh, we do believe that that metrics can be an offensive weapon and should be used uh, to its uh, fullest extent. Uh, we look at the consumer world first as an example here, and, and you look at not just Google, but Facebook, how they ruthlessly test uh, new features and tune uh, user engagement. Twitter, in many ways, is, is a core data and metrics business, um, despite the outward perception. Uh, and this has been underused historically in B2B to a sort of shameful degree. Uh, people used to not even get logs of who installed their software. Nonetheless, any idea of where it was running, who was using it, or you know, God forbid, what features were people were using. And so there was just no uh, feedback loop there. But if you take subscription businesses and on-demand delivery businesses, you've got more data than ever, and you'd be crazy not to use it. Uh, so we think that a culture of metrics awareness is critical at scale. It doesn't need to be the CEO that's the metric czar. Uh, Jeff Weiner at, at LinkedIn um, is that person and is just a quantitative genius by all accounts and, and able to absorb that. But if you look at uh, what Zuckerberg and Cheryl do uh, at Facebook, that combo can work just as well. You could probably even flip the roles. I, I think everyone would bet Cheryl would be a fantastic CEO and, and that having a pro strong product number two can work well. So the roles are less important than having that 
persona in the company and having a dashboard that's shared and that a, a culture where metrics permeate all levels of the organization, not just quantitative demand gen, which is certainly the new marketing, but quantitative product design, where customers are telling you what features work and which features don't and what they love and what they don't and follow data and follow your customers rather than the conceptual whiteboarding that serves companies very well early on, but seems can take you down some very um, incorrect paths later in life. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So um, I, I think sort of on that note, we've gone through the 10 laws. I think we've, we've kept uh, six of those in. Um, so I did a pretty good job at um, writing the, the, the seminal 10 laws of building a unicorn uh, and um, you, you know, perhaps uh, people would have been talking about that in the future. Like they talk about the ten laws of ca- uh, cloud computing, but uh, you know, al- almost there. Uh, but I think um, I think out of that, um, you, you know, there's going to be a lot of good insights for certainly those uh, founders and uh, early stage SaaS startups that are, are listening to this podcast. Um, so really appreciate your your insights and uh, taking the time there. Um, you, you, you know, to go through all of those with me and uh, allow me to poke some fun at you uh, as well uh, along the way. Right. My pleasure, Alex. Can't wait to see what uh, the teams out there have to build and certainly uh, encourage people to reach out when they've got ideas or want uh, advice or use a sounding board to uh, my colleagues here at, at Bessemer Venture Partners as we're always looking to work with uh, the next great set of founders. Well, um, yeah, you, you know, that, that's great. And, um, you know, thanks uh, to, to listening to, well, I say Alex Zumas or Byron Dieter's 10 Laws of Building a, a Unicorn SaaS Business. Um, and, um, you, you know, uh, if you'd like to, uh, the, the show, uh, uh, we'd love it if you could please rate and review it on iTunes. Um, and we'll see you next time.